Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, so we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say, no one will love you as you are. Don't let them break you down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. We are warriors. When you feel afraid and you're full of doubt, we're gonna send the love, we're gonna shout it out. I am brave, I am free. Take my hand and follow me. This is we. Look out, cause here we come. And we're marching on to the beat we drum. We're not scared to be seen. We make no apologies. This is we. Corporal Goldstein, you're two hours late. Two hours. You better have a good excuse. Uh, well, sir, I was, I was sleeping in the barracks when I was awakened by this mysterious noise. Huh? So I crept out. I find 4,000 of the enemy surrounding the camp. I see. So I snug up behind them, and I gave them a hands up. Gung-ho Goldstein. Yes. 
so I tied them all up and I marched them 50 miles down the road to the PW camp. And then what? And then I went back and I drove the 42 tanks they had with them to the motor pool and I repainted them. He painted them? Yes, blue and white. <laughs> then I went back to the barracks and took a nice warm bath and here I am. Uh-huh. And that took you a whole two hours? <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. <laughs> I was recalling uh, yesterday... The one time I had the opportunity to interview Lou Jacoby, who, of course, is the centerpiece of all those great comedy segments. And uh, I actually got to play the comedy segments with him on the air and talk about them. And, of course, I wish now that I had a a recording of that interview, which might exist somewhere. Who knows? Uh, But there he is, uh, Lou Jacoby and... All those great comedy segments. This is we, Ellie Schwabel and Shalom Lemmer together uh, for the um, most recent uh, Hask event. Yehuda had Aleinu. You heard L'chadodiv by Leif Tahar. Before that, by the Maccabees. Amichai Spiegler had Kilacha. Shalom Rav, that was Shal Shalas. Mordechai Ben David's Timcha, perfect for an Erev Shabbos Zachar. And, of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up. And... There we go. And we say good morning. J.M. in the A.M. Friday on this February the 19th, day 7 in the month of Adar. Today is the yard site of Moshe Rabbeinu, the year 5781. Tufshin Pei It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Truma with uh, Erev Shabbos Zachar. That's right. Shabbos Zachar already. Believe it or not, Purim is this coming Thursday night. It is hard to believe, boy. It really is hard to believe that Purim is this coming Thursday night, but Purim is this coming Thursday night. Uh, it's Erev Shabbos Zachar. Um, no doubt many, many, many will make the effort to get to shul tomorrow. If that's not possible, obviously know or find out when Zachar is being read in your community, in your neighborhood, and to take advantage of the important national mitzvah. Uh, candle lighting time at the 5.15 here in New York. 5.15 is the official candle lighting time that we are announcing as usual i will check to make sure that oh my gosh that doesn't even make sense (laughs) it's 21 minutes before shkia um should we say just should we just move it to 516 they will move it to 516 so we'll be at 20 minutes before sunset which is our tradition uh but officially we're saying 515 uh and as we said friday is purim a week from today is purim mayor weingarten will be here behind the microphone i thank him in advance and uh, we'll all be celebrating uh, Purim 5781, which we hope will be an important hurdle to get past, to get back to as normal as possible after the year of Purim to Purim that we have had. 31 degrees, 91.1% humidity, winds in northeast at 15 miles per hour. Uh, wintry mix today with a high temperature of 36. Then tonight, Cloudy skies and a low of 28. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and a high shop is 37 degrees. 46 right now in Jerusalem. We're at 31 in New York City. Um, On a Friday morning broadcast here at JM and the AM. I spoke to Simon this morning in Jerusalem, our great friend Simon Jacob. He uh, was telling me about the uh, the snow and how much the children love the snow in Israel. I'll tell you, when it shows up once every five years for a few minutes, that's not bad. <laughs> but I don't know if Simon and others who've moved to Israel from New York and New Jersey, I don't know if they miss the snow. <laughs> but the uh, 
the kids in Israel who don't see it too often, they're really happy with it, boy. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, Jerusalem right now at 46 degrees as they get ready for Shabbat Zachar, and we're at 31 here in New York City as we say good morning here at JM and the AM. 21 minutes before the hour, Malcolm Holmline, an hour from now, he is the uh, he is the executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm Holmline, one hour from now with the weekly update. Harry Rothenberg coming up. We've got Rabbi Yudin, of course, both with words about uh, Truma and Shabbos Zohar. And um, Liba Yaffe is going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour. You ever hear of a show called Ninja Warrior? Let me make sure I have the right name. Let me make sure I have the, uh, um, yes, yeah, season 13 of Ninja Warrior. She is a uh, an Orthodox woman, and she is going to be competing in that uh, television program, in that contest. We get to speak to her in the 7 o'clock hour this morning here at JM in the AM. Should be very, very interesting. 20 minutes before the hour, we've got um, Joey Newcomb and Benny Friedman together here at JM in the AM.
As I stand in candlelight With my hands upon my eyes There's a passion in my prayers That rends the skies For a mother's tears can shatter Every gate that bars the way All the heavens will echo Those words that mothers say Take my children by the hand Help them walk along your way May they never go astray May they know you as I know you Oh Hashem, accept my plea Give me children who give nachas V'zakeini V'zakeini, v'zakeini Take my children by the hand Help them walk along your way May they never go astray May they know you as I know you Oh, I say Accept my plea Give me children Who give nachas V'zakeini I stand in candlelight While my home is dark and still There's a void inside my heart I long to fill Will I ever be a mother? Will that blessing come my way? Will I stand by the candles? With gratitude and
It's the end. It's been a good life, but it's the end. Where is my son Simo that came to see me from California? Hello, Papa. Goodbye, Simo. <laughs> Simo, my son, it's the end. Don't say that, Papa. It's not the end. Even at the end, my own son is telling me what to say. <laughs> Simo, my boy, believe me, it's the end. All right, Papa, I believe you. It's the end. Simo, I liked it better when you were arguing with me. Papa, is there anything I can get for you? Yes. One thing before I go. I would like one piece of Mama's delicious apple strudel. It's my last wish. I'll get it for you, Papa. What else could a man want but the taste of Mama's apple strudel on his lips when he goes? I'm a lucky man. I'm back, Papa. Oh, good. The apple strudel. No, Papa. I didn't get it. Mama says you can't have any. What do you mean? Can't have any. She said the strudel is for after the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Truma. On this Erev Shabbos Zohar, and yet another one of our great Adar comedy segments here at JM in the AM. Got an amazing call from Dr. Rosenshine just a few minutes ago. Mazel Tov on yet another great grandson, Baruch Hashem. To a rabbi and Mrs. Rosenshine. Um, Bensi and Mindy Rosenshine are celebrating. The Kronblasses are celebrating. And of course, Rabbi and Mrs. Shmuel Aaron Rosenshine are celebrating. Mazel Tov. Dr. Mrs. Joel Rosenshine, of course. Wonderful, brand new, great grandson. Amazing. Candle lighting at 5.15 on this era of Shabbos. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JMM. 5.15 in New York. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, שלום רב, באולפן תום ויינטראוב לוק עם מה שקורה עכשיו. במשרד ראש הממשלה מגיבים לראשונה לאפשרות כי ארצות הברית תשוב להסכם הגרעין עם איראן. בהודעת המשרד נכתב, ישראל דבקה במחויבותה למנוע מאיראן להשיג נשק גרעיני, ועמדתה בעניין לא השתנתה. עוד נכתב כי ישראל מקיימת שיח רצוף עם ארצות הברית בנושא. כך מוסרת כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף פולברג. הלילה פורסם כי הממשל האמריקני הציע באופן רשמי לחדש את השיחות עם איראן על ההסכם. השיחות עשויות להתחיל כבר בשבועות הקרובים. לוחם מג"ב שנורה אמש למוות הוא נעים מאדי, זיכרונו לברכה, בן 21 מג'וליס. כתבנו הצבאי צחי דבוש מוסר כי מאדי שירת במשך שנה וחצי כלוחם מצטיין. הוא נמצא הלילה בבסיסו בעכו כשהוא ירוי וללא רוח חיים. הבוקר עצרה מחש שוטר מג"ב מאותה היחידה חשוד במעורבות בירי. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסיפה כי השוטר חשוד בהמתה בקלות דעת ושיבוש מהלכי חקירה. מעצרו הוארך בארבעה ימים.
ועדת השרים לענייני הקורונה מאשרת בשעה זו את ההקלות והשינויים בהנחיות שייכנסו לתוקף ביום ראשון. בין השאר יאשרו השרים כי אדם שישה במקום הפועל על פי התו הירוק ואינו מחוסן או מחלים ייכנס באלף שקלים. עוד יוחלט כי מפעיל מקום שאמור לפעול על פי התו הירוק ולא ביצע כראוי את בדיקת אישורי הכניסה ייכנס בחמשת אלפים עד עשרת אלפים שקלים בהתאם לגודל המקום. החשד לפשיעה לאומנית בקרב נוער הגבעות, מעצרו של החשוד המרכזי תושב יצהר, בן 18, הוארך עד ליום שני לבקשת המשטרה. ארבעת העצורים האחרים שוחררו למעצר בית של שישה ימים, ונאסר עליהם ליצור קשר זה עם זה. כתבנו שחר גליק מוסר כי החמישה חשודים בשורת אירועים של יידויי אבנים על רכבים פלסטיניים, החזקת נשק ופגיעה באנשי ביטחון. השחקנית נועה קולר מתייחסת לראשונה להאשמות נגד ארז דריגז, שותפה ליצירת הסדרה חזרות. קולר כתבה בדף האינסטגרם שלה, אני שבורה וכואבת, הוא התוודה בפניי שהוא מכור למין בהחלמה. אמר שמעולם לא עשה מעשה פלילי או אלים כלפי מישהי. לא הייתי מודעת להתנהגויות האינטימיות והמיניות שלו, כך קולר. כתבנו בנימין כהן ג'ייקובס מזכיר כי לפני מספר ימים התפרסם תחקיר באתר פוליטיקלי קורט ובו עדויות של מספר נשים, חלקן קטינות, שטוענות כי דריגז הטריד אותן מינית ברשת. שלג כבד יורד באזור החרמון, מאתר החרמון נמסר כי עד כה נערמו כ-80 סנטימטרים של שלג במפלס התחתון וכמטר במפלס העליון. כתבנו קובי מנדל מוסר כי מועד פתיחת האתר טרם נקבע ותלוי בתנאי מזג האוויר. לידיעת המטיילים בצה"ל שבים ומדגישים כי יש ללכת רק בשבילים מסודרים בשל החשש ממוקשים. מזג האוויר קר מהרגיל לעונה, גשם לפרקים יורד מצפון הארץ עד צפון הנגב, הגשמים צפויים להיחלש לקראת הערב, מחר צפויה התחממות קלה, אך עדיין יהיה קר מהרגיל, וייתכנו גשמים מקומיים בצפון ובמרכז. אלה החדשות. שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים, מה יהיה עוד יום עוד שנה? אבל אני מחייך, לא דואג להמשך, כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה. שלח 
ניסים כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה. תן חיוך בן אדם, יש ניסים כל הזמן, לא לבכות הכל לטובה. אסור לך להתייאש, רק תמשיך לבקש, תשמור, תשמור את התקווה. Yaakov Shweki, of course, here at JM in the AM. Before that, you heard the news, and before that, Shlomo Kalbach, Limik Dashech, Eishes Chayel was done by Shal Shelles. New York Boys Choir, brand new with Viza Kaney, and you heard Joey Newcomb and Benny Freeman with me, Ka'amcha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, 5.15, candle lighting in New York. In New York, 5.15, candle lighting. Uh, Harry Rothenberg has words about Parshas Truma and Shabbos Zohar. Here he is at JM in the AM. The Jews, the Israelites are in the desert. And God commands them to build a mishkan, a tabernacle, in which he can rest his divine presence and have a relationship with them. But in order to build the mishkan and many of its utensils, the aron, the ark, and the shulchan, the table, the Jews need wood. Where are they going to find wood in the desert? Fortunately, their forefather, our forefather, Jacob, Yaakov, had planned ahead. He knew prophetically that they would need wood in the desert to build a mishkan and its utensils. So he had planted trees in Egypt and told his children to tell their children through the generations that when it came time to leave Egypt, they should chop down those trees and bring them into the desert. But that's where the story gets even more interesting. Because Yaakov didn't just plant those trees in Egypt, he replanted them. He had cut down the trees that his grandfather, Abraham, Avraham, had originally planted in Israel. Those trees were part of Avraham's Eishel, the place where he greeted his guests and showered them with his legendary hospitality. Those trees were a living embodiment of Avraham's kindness. So Yaakov wanted to make sure that that kindness got baked into, became part and parcel of the Mishkan, the place where we would have a relationship with God. 
because he wanted to send a message to the Jews in the desert and to us nowadays that if you want to have a wonderful relationship with God, there's only one way. In your personal life, in your interpersonal dealings, you are arrogant and obnoxious and short-tempered and self-centered and stingy and callous and stubborn. You can't just flick a switch and suddenly have a wonderful, warm relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter how much charity you give. If you terrorize your children or your employees or your neighbors, it doesn't matter how much intensity you have while praying. In order to have the right relationship with God, you've got to first work on building a kinder, gentler you. Then, and only then, will you be able to have the kind of relationship that you want, from which you'll benefit so much with the big man upstairs.
J.M. and the A.M. with Sandy Shmueli before that Shlomi Gertner. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Truma, Erev Shabbos Zachar here at J.M. and the A.M. Believe it or not, Thursday night is Purim. No joke. Tanis Esther is Thursday. Thursday night is Purim. And, of course, Friday Purim. Mayor Weingarten will sit in for me here at J.M. and the A.M. And it'll be a very interesting, a little bit unusual because it's Friday, uh, Purim Day. But um, now that we're hitting the one-year anniversary of this... Uh, crazy pandemic. Maybe it'll be an important hurdle to get over as Purim 5781 quickly approaches. Well, I told you earlier we'd be speaking with um, Aliba Yaffe this morning. Her uh, bio, uh, which was sent to me, indicates that she's a mom of four. She's speaking to us, by the way, from Phoenix, Arizona. Best regards to the amazing Jewish community of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, She's founder of Spirit Fit Life, a program that coaches women around the world to live strong inside and out. She'll be the first Orthodox woman to compete in this season's uh, season number 13 of the Ninja Warrior competition, which many of you may have uh, seen in the past on your TVs. And she will, of course, compete in a skirt. And uh, she cannot wait to show all the women, all the firm women out there in the world, that they can do anything they want and they can do it in a skirt. Liba Yaffe, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Hi, how are you? Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. When does this, and I know it's early for you, so thank you. When does this competition start? When does this whole thing get going? So the, they're flying us all out to Washington State. Um, it's a, in the middle of Pesach. I'm going to be there for the whole Holomoid. Right. And they, so they film me then, and then they, it's not aired till around June. And uh, what, was there discussion about Shabbos and Yontif? Pesach this year, Erev Pesach would be on Shabbos, and Yontif would be Sunday and Monday. Were any adjustments in the schedule necessary because of you? Yeah, so they're actually starting the recording on, like, Shabbos, but they're, like, when they call me, they're, like, you, they, they are the ones that told me. They're, like, you know it's on Passover. So they like are working around my schedule, which is really nice. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. And, and how does it? And I apologize. You know, there's certain shows I'm a fan of, and others I don't really get to watch. On this one, how does it work? Is this is this something where uh, in one episode you you take part, and if you pass that episode or if you defeat the competition, you move on to another show? How does it work? Yeah. So 
you get one chance and one chance only. Basically, like, if you um, fall or, you know, then you're out. So, you know, my I'm a beginner at this, actually. Like, I've only started training for this specific sport a few months ago. There was other sports that I couldn't compete in because um, they didn't allow me to dress, like, modestly. So I couldn't compete. And this is the first sport that I, that, um, that I like, actually am competing in because they allow me to wear whatever I want. So, um, you know, that's a big thing for me to be able to just go out there. And I just want to, like, make an impression, like, you know, like, to hit a buzzer. That's what it means, like, to go through the whole thing, right? Um, that's something that, obviously, I want to do. But, um, you know, for now, like, I just want to go out there and, you know, and and do my best. So we'll see what happens. I'm excited. Well, we're going to be rooting for you. Lee Yaffe is with us. Are there, other, okay. are there other issues aside from the start of Passover that have come up during this whole process in regard to you being an Orthodox Jew? So the, all the other, like the, the smaller competitions, like the, you know, state competitions and all those things, I, um, I don't compete in because almost all of them are on Saturdays. Uh-huh. So it's, it's everybody's like, you haven't been in a competition, you have to go. You have to go if you want to like, compete in the biggest. I'm like, I, I can't, there's none that are on a Saturday so far. So that's definitely like, my, you know, my coaches are like, you're holding, holding you back. Like, people will say that stuff, like, those kind of things to me. They don't understand, like, how valuable it means to me. It's not just, like, you know, something no. like a bypass. Yeah, I get so, that. I get that, and we admired that. But doesn't it doesn't it harm your uh, ability to get to this competition? How did they accept you for the big one on TV if you hadn't gone through the other ones? Did, did it matter? No, I think that that's, what, that's one of the reasons also why they took me in is because it's like something that was never done before, right? So they are they find it like it's very fascinating to them, right? Like meaning it, there's never been a woman like a religious woman on a show of any sort. So I, you know, and they see me. I you send basically you have to get accepted. So you send a video of your like a whole video of yourself and your story and like your physical strength. So they see that you have the strength to do it. And also, like, my story about how I help women, like, all over the world, you know, you get stronger and be right. healthy and all that kind of stuff. So, kind of- so I've seen, we've seen from men and from young men in competitions like this. I mean, I'm just trying to think back to, you know, people we've featured and, and you know, things we've spoken about on the air. And we've seen women mm-hmm. and we've seen women compete in skirts. I'm thinking of B.D. Deitch, you know, the great runner yeah. in Israel. But we've never, right. but we've never seen a from woman compete in a skirt in this type of form. Right. No. So, Beatty, I think the first actually, she's my, we're friends. She's the first actually woman in any like elite level that's dressed modestly. Um, and running is also a sport that like, yeah, you could. But she's being like, you know, she can compete like in the Olympics because of Shabbos. So, right. So yeah, there's been no other sport um, that um, a woman has like specifically an injury. There's, I don't. There's never been. Um, uh, like I don't even think like any sort of religious woman in the on the show at all on all thirteen seasons. So some of the women tuned in may be shocked that you're a mother of four because they may not believe yeah. they may not believe that you know. <laughs> Wait, wait, I mean, not to get too personal, but when one has when one has children, you know, th- th- different things happen to their body, and and many may suspect yeah. that it's hard to get into this type of shape in order to compete in a competition like this. First of all, how old are your children? My oldest is eleven, almost twelve. So, and then I had my youngest is three. And and uh, my- what do they think of all this? I mean, th- these are kids who I assume yeah. are who I assume are in the Jewish community in some type right. of day school atmosphere. Exactly. So- what do they think my of all kids this? Are like, they're like my biggest 
fans. They, they, the next day after we found out, every single Rebbe in Mora of the school came over to me and said and congratulated me. And we're like, <laughs> we're so excited because they told everybody they could, uh, they met. My husband went to Shulam Shabbos. Like Mazel Tov, like and like everyone was just like you know, and the kids were my kids are like mini ninjas now. Like they practice. We made a ninja in my backyard because they want to be like me. So you know, the fact of like a mom is like it, that's a, a mindset block. Like just because you have kids, like you could be I'm stronger than I was before I had kids. Like stronger. So and, and, it doesn't hold you back unless you like don't. Take care of yourself. And, and and women women who've had children and other women and men, how how do you get into this type of shape? What would you tell somebody who is looking to uh, I'm not saying necessarily compete on television in Ninja Warrior, but just wants to enhance their life by getting their body to be in better shape? Right. So this is what I do. This is my this is what spirit of life is. We have I have over seventy women right now in um, my program, I have five, you know, I have a team of five working for me that um, we have women all over the world. It's exactly this. Yeah, you know, we have postpartum. And, and, you know, it's not just about exercise. You know, it's, it's a lot about the way we take care of ourselves, the way we think, you know, uh, you know, just not not overdoing it as, like, moms, especially from moms do, you know, keep giving, keep giving and not taking for ourselves. So we, I help coach women in all these areas, like internal transformation and external. That's my whole motto is like strong from the inside and out. So, you know, I can't tell you one thing. It's about really, you know, that that this is what we coach people on to really build that strong self. And it's not compared to anybody else. It's you against, it's you against you. Right. It it sounds like it's a lot about what you put in your body and how you treat your body. But in addition to that, it sounds like it's a lot about what's in your head as well. 100%. 100%. Like, it's mostly about what's in your head. That's the main thing. Because I'm not into extremes. Like, I don't, we don't, like, do, I don't eat extreme diets or any of that stuff. It's more of, like, you know, having fun with it and, you know, and really, like, tuning into yourself a lot. Uh, can I assume you will not be eating any hamantash in a week from today, or I should not make that assumption? You cannot make that assumption. <laughs> I'll definitely be eating hamantash. <laughs> See, I, 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 I would think that Hamantasha would not fit into the Ninja Warrior training program. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, ninjas are not like these, like, you know, like, like runners are very into, like, how many calories. Like, ninjas are into, like, eat, we, like, sit around and eat tons. So it's, it's a different, like, I guess, vibe of the sport. Um, and also, like, it's not, I, uh, like, the way with coaches, like, to be, it's like a lifestyle. Like, if you want to be this way, how you're always going to be. Right. You know, like, not just, not be extreme. So, I like common traction. Interesting. But I eat it in a healthy way. Like, you have healthy recipes. <laughs> right. So, I should, or eat just one and then don't, and don't sit down exactly. with, so don't sit down with 12 of them before the Purim suit. Exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. And that, and that, of course, exactly. and that, of course, would be an indication of what's in someone's head. The 12 versus right. 1 common traction is a lot of what's going on up there, right? Right, 100%. Emotional eating aspect. That's a lot yeah. of what we, what I help women with, you know, like so I, work through their emotional eating. So I shouldn't worry about your family. They've got plenty of chocolate. They've got plenty of all the del- delicious delicacies. Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> They're not lacking. All right. Um, I assume, uh, you, I, I believe you told us earlier in this conversation, it's the month of June that it'll be on TV, correct? Yes. And I, yes. Assu- I assume that no matter what, no matter what happens on Pesach, 
and believe you me, we're rooting for you. I assume we'll have plenty of publicity and an opportunity to inform everybody exactly how to watch, where to watch, and how to be very proud of the way you've represented our people at the Ninja Warrior. 100%. And they can find me on, on social media where they can follow the journey of my process. Yeah, and if, you, and if you want to see a from woman uh, do some uh, incredible feats um, uh, that, that, that you know, most women and men around the world cannot do. If you want to see those videos, folks, you can go to Liba, Liba Yaffe's um, uh, social media. I think I saw the Facebook uh, videos. Uh, Liba is L-I-B-A, and Yaffe is Y-O-F-F-E. And, of course, we're going to be following her because we love when people in our community go out there in a forum that's really important to the world, in this case sports and entertainment, and tells the world that Shabbos and modesty – and Kashrus is more important than anything that they have to offer. And Liba, you fit right into that profile, and we're really proud of you, and we thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good Shabbos. Uh, good Shabbos, and best regards to everybody out there in Phoenix, Arizona. JM and the AM, plenty more coming up, including the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's going to be joining us uh, right around 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, and plenty more if you keep it here at JM in the AM.
This court will please come to order. Mr. Rabinowitz, you are the foreman of the jury. Have you reached a verdict? Judge, Your Honor, we have been listening to the facts in this case for six weeks, and it has been a wonderful experience for us all. We, the jury, would like to thank you for the way you have conducted this case. Thank you, Mr. Rabinowitz. But the verdict, please. Certainly, Your Honor. We, the jury, Mr. Cohen, Mr. Fine, Mr. Landsberg, the lovely Mrs. Belkowitz. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Rabinowitz. You're welcome. <laughs> Mr. Rabinowitz, the verdict. Coming, Your Honor. Mr. Goldberg, Mr. Katz, <laughs> Mr. Stein, Mrs. Cantor, Mr. I'm not lovely. The lovely Mrs. Cantor. <laughs> lovely. Mr. Rabinowitz. Mr. Finkelstein, Mr. Bloom, and Mr. Pinkus the Furrier. <laughs> Your Honor, the 12 of us have spent the past four days in the jury room debating this case. And we examined the evidence pro and con and backwards and forwards to decide in the American way, did he or didn't he do it? <laughs> Mr. Rabinowitz, the verdict, and now. Immediately, Your Honor. <laughs> we, the jury, after careful deliberation on this case, have decided we shouldn't mix in. <laughs> J.M. in the A.M. with our uh, <laughs> Adar comedy segment. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Zohar. Wow, I can't believe it's Shabbos Zohar already. That means Purim is this coming week, and yes, it is. Tanis Esther on Thursday, Purim Thursday night, Purim Friday. And um, it's hard to believe that it's one year later after the whole week of Purim last year it was such a crazy week, if you remember, with the eventual closing of our shuls a couple of days after Purim. Really something. Anyway, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Truma on this uh, 7th of Adar, the yard side of Moshe Rabbeinu. Erev Shabbos Zachar with 31 degrees, wintry mix, and a high of 36. Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to be tuned in. Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night. That starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time. All day long, amazing programming, including the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek coming up at 10 a.m. 
Um, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem and our Erev Shabbos music mix and the final hour. All brought to you by the fine. By, all brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's all coming up here on a Friday Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And I should mention that uh, next week we will be off. Uh, there'll be no weekly update. It'll be Purim Day. Mayor Weingarten will be sitting in for me, and I thank him in advance. And I'm assuming that if all goes according to schedule, uh, that on the uh, 5th of March, which is two weeks from today, we'll reconvene with the next weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning to you, Nachum. Hard, hard. We should also remember that today is also the art site of Esther Amalka. 7th of Adar? both, and that's why it's a big day for school. So, Wow, and my mother was born on the 12th of Adar, and hence her name, Esther. Amazing. Um, our, our triplets were also born on the 12th of Adar, but I don't want to turn this into a, uh, you know, yes, I, it's right, right. into a whole personal greeting type of show here. It is hard to believe, isn't it, that last year, the week of Purim, ended with the closing of our shuls. Again, it was that Friday that the bulk of them did, in fact, close and here we are a year later and I really hope although the Pesach uh, holiday will appear a drop differently this year we'll have shul and likely uh, the ability to have some guests at our seder uh, but I just hope I hope things continue to improve it is hard to believe that it's a year later um, you you once indicated that it seems you go through the week and all of a sudden it's Shabbos again and I <laughs> ever since you've said that I think of that every Thursday and Friday my gosh <laughs> Here I tell people I, I know I make Havdalah Saturday night and I make Kiddush Friday night I just don't know what happens in between <laughs> it certainly seems <laughs> that way every day is Blur's day it's re- very good I like that one pretty amazing what do you remember about the trip we took with Rush Limbaugh 28 years ago to Israel uh, I remember it very well. I've been thinking about it ever since he got ill, and uh, the, you know, all of the people who who warned me before he went, and all sorts of accusations against the guy. He, he was a philo-Semite. He was um, knowledgeable. He was everything but the way he is portrayed. And you know, I remember during one night we were talking, and he said, "Look, I'm an entertainer. I have to put on," but he himself was very shy. If you remember, he would retire early in the evenings. He, the, he, he didn't look for uh, adulation. He was happy to get into, into details. If you remember, the Dead Sea Scrolls, sure. his father was uh, obsessed with them. And um, when we met with Rabin, what I remember most is that he took out two Cuban cigars, right. and knowing that Rabin smoked, and he he said to him, you know, these, and they were very expensive ones, and Rabin grabbed, you couldn't even see it, it was a flash of light, and they were in his pocket. <laughs> he was so happy with it, and, uh, and then we went on to have a really wonderful discussion, and Rabin was very impressed by him, that his knowledge and, uh, you know, the no bravado. He was, it was a perfect uh, week with him, and he remained a, remained a great friend, speaking to tens of millions of people, and conveyed a message that, you know, few people did or, or influenced so many because it was, uh, he was very sympathetic both to Jews and to Israel. 
Yeah, no question about they it. They can differ with him on a lot of issues, and people you know, can have criticisms of him, like of anybody. But uh, he he was really um, mentioned. I remember at my daughter's wedding, as you remember, he, he, um, he went off on the side with Hillary Clinton right, right. and apologized to her about having mentioned um, Chelsea, her daughter, said children should not have been brought into it, and he apologized for mentioning her in uh, one of his uh, political uh, onslaughts. Yeah, that was an interesting moment. I wonder I wonder about the aftermath of his passing, how different it might have been if things were a little bit more sane in this country, and I'm saying it that way because um, the hatred, uh, I mean, there's plenty of love. You just indicated a reason to, you know, to admire him. Uh, multiple reasons to admire, but the hatred that's out there right now, and I, I just wonder if it would have been like that 10 years ago. Even I, I did a nice tribute to him yesterday and spoke about some of the things he had done for us here, etc. And uh, my listeners, I never expected my listeners to react. Many of them, of course, were complimentary and, and, and uh, recalled him with fondness. But the the vitriol out there is really really rough these days. It's the climate of the time, and it's you know, and and again, it's legitimate to criticize him. There are a lot of views and things that right. he, like anybody else, look at the, you know, Governor Cuomo. Anybody is, uh, you know, uh, can be criticized, and it's legitimate. There are reasons, you know, after adulation, that uh, he got an Emmy and all that rest, and then you have this this immediate. Uh, explosion of, of uh, feelings. And, and again, it's not a question of legitimacy. It's the climate that, that we live in and the tone in which things are, are being done um, that, you know, he died. And now it's not a question that he represents a challenge to people's views or whatever. You just, uh, you can remember the good and people can acknowledge the bad if they don't agree with something that he said. You know, one of the things that I remember when when you and I first met was how often you were on stage in debates against, you know, people from both the right and the left, you know, people who were, mm-hmm. people who did not feel the way you felt about Israel and had an opinion uh, and one you felt worthy of discussing. And I just wonder today if, you know, someone like yourself is an example you know, a defender of Israel, someone who's who's there with, you know, potent points about, you know, why America, for instance, should be, you know, a strong ally of Israel, etc. I don't even know if people would take the stage to discuss these things with you anymore. Like, it seems you can't, unless you, you know, agree with somebody these days, that you can't even engage in a regular civil conversation with them, especially publicly these days. Do you think about that, 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 that some of the things you've done in the past would not even be welcome anymore? I do think about I do think about what is going on, and I worry very much about what will be coming, uh, and that the, the nature of the vitriol that that uh, we hear and and see, whether it's regarding Israel or Jews or society as a whole, um, uh, I, I, it is true that I don't know that the same kind of fora could exist, and you have a media that is so polarized as well, yeah. and the diminution of the of the media in general, and the lack of faith that people have in everything, in government, in politics, in in, in uh, the media, in the clergy, in academia, uh, young people have, have uh, turned against them. There's no s- respect for authority. 
And in terms of, of the divergence of views, and unless you say really extreme things, unless you're willing to go from extreme left or extreme right, and it doesn't matter whether things are true, and it doesn't matter whether they're disproven later on, that's what gets the attention. And the, you know, they play, the media plays them, builds them up, and then attacks them and destroys them. Look right. at political leaders who are, you know, come as a flash in a pan, and and then all of a sudden disappear. Every Israeli guy who announces for prime minister or right. woman gets eight seats, ten seats, and then all of a sudden you turn around. They can't make the threshold. So it's, um, you know, it is, it, it is an unstable time. And COVID has really come, you know, as part of this perfect storm with economic and social dislocation. Uh, so it's things that people should think about, and, and we have to address collectively. What, what will the world look like when this is over? Yeah. What will our institutions, our schools, our, our community instructions, institutions, our schools? We don't know. And I'll move on in a second, but the point you're making about government officials and, and the distrust uh, I'm not saying this hasn't happened before. Obviously, you know, I always like to say it's all everything's happened before. But when you see, a, we're both New York City residents, you and I, and when you see the mayor of the city of New York with the outspoken language against the governor of the state of New York, I'm not saying again that this hasn't happened before, but just the, even even in the in the relationship that we would think would be important to maintain, just to run the city and state properly, just to give confidence to people, to residents that, you know, we've got your Mm -hmm. back, we've got your back. And then it turns into personal attacks. And you say to yourself, like, you know, with all this mudslinging that's going on, you think it's only in the media. Our public officials are doing it to each other. They are. It becomes a model for, for people. It's why they distrust, dislike, and have no confidence in uh, in in the system as a whole, in many regards, it did, it did fail people. But when when they make comments, even about the Jewish community, when uh, you know people launched attacks that are or, or would otherwise have not even been conceivable. Yeah. And it's not always it's not anti-Semitism. Right. Sometimes it's it's a lack of regard, and right. sometimes it's, but it does a lot of damage. Yeah. It's sometimes just a regular lack of respect. It doesn't have to be that anybody hates Jews. Mm-hmm. They just approach it with such a terrible ter- from such a terrible angle. All right, uh, the call to the prime minister has finally taken place. What could you tell us about the conversation between the president of the United States and the prime minister of Israel? It's not true that he called collect, <laughs> uh, so, so put that to rest. But it, it was important. I know people, and especially the media, try to portray this as a breakdown in the relationship, a, a message of a lack of confidence. There were no other Middle East leaders that were called, and they said that you know the first that would be called would be Netanyahu. Traditionally, Israel is amongst the first countries to get called, but I, uh, I think that uh, there are many world leaders who are still waiting for the call. He got it. It was a very friendly call. I've spoken to people who are familiar with it. it covered a lot of issues. Went almost an hour, and oh, wow. you know they know that. each other for a long time, for decades. And it's, I'm not going to say the relationship was always a smooth one. It wasn't, but they respect each other. I think they like each other. I've heard in. On, in the receptions that the vice president, when he was vice president, he used to give every year at the uh, admiral's mansion. Uh, he often would make references to BB. You know, uh, uh, Mr. Biden would have a tendency, you know, to wander off on his comments. And um, so, but I do think that there is a, a begrudging mutual respect, and and a uh, and it was certainly reflected in the call, and it dealt with Iran extensively, and the president complimented Bibi on the handling of the virus inoculations, something that we're still wrestling with here. Um, 
So I hope it at least put to rest this issue. It doesn't mean that all the problems are resolved and all the issues are, um, you know, not going to be there after the call. Everything stays the same. If you remember when he was vice president on his last visit, there was an incident and um, some low-level Pakid uh, announced the expansion or building in some settlement. Right. And, you know, he skipped the dinner they was have, but then he wouldn't have the meeting with the, with the prime minister. So I think uh, it's, it, it, if it was intended to be then, then it was, or if it was moved up to put to rest these, these uh, silly rumors after his spokespeople kept saying they're going to do it. They're going to do it. Just, you know, he's, he hasn't, um, he's doing it periodically. He has a lot of other issues, I guess, that he's uh, addressing too. On that incident, by the way, you have to remember he was representing the, you know, the Obama administration, and uh, no, and we're, we're not a hundred percent sure that what action he was he was asked to take was being done voluntarily or he was being forced because or, of the or if he did everything he was asked to do. Right. Correct. Um, so now the call has taken place. Is that the, I mean, I assume that uh, uh, once it was announced this week that there's a uh, a restart. In negotiations with Iran, I assume the president felt that he could not make that announcement or have the uh, his representative make that announcement without speaking to the prime minister first. Is that a good? Uh, it, does that work out? That there's no way that this announcement would have been made without a personal call from the president to the prime minister. For, well, they're not restarting the talks. They they are talking about the readiness to restart talks, you know, there is still a big difference that the administration said we talk first and then we remove sanctions and sort of doing it without precondition. The uh, Iranians are insisting sanctions be lifted uh, first. And if you look at some of the developments and the statements that were made over this week by uh, Rouhani to to, uh, the president of Iran, to Merkel, um, and was really very uh, tough and said it's unchangeable. You know, the Europeans and others want the U.S. They want to see Israel, Saudi Arabia, UAE brought into the talks. The Iranians have said no way, and they're not willing to um, to accept it. We see that the European foreign ministers, the key ones, Germany, France, Britain, met, and then they talked to Blinken, and that's why these statements that uh, came out. And remember, we have facing a deadline in 48 hours on the 21st of February, uh, which is the deadline sent by the Parliament of, of Iran, that they have to go to 20%, that they have to chuck literally all the restrictions, which they are doing anyway slowly, but this would be this was supposed to be the, the deadline. I, Iran says, well, we're willing to, you know, not to do it, but first you have to do um, all of these things, in, including which primarily lifting the uh, sanctions. He, he, they are in desperate needs of funds, both for their foreign operations, for Hezbollah, Hamas, etc., but also domestically. They, they are um, looking at um, uh, various initiatives. They, they met with the Japanese prime minister, defense ministers, uh, and their defense minister met and announced uh, joint uh, efforts. They, they conducted exercises with the Russian Navy, for several days this past week, it ended on uh, I think on Wednesday. Um, you know, it was supposed to be rescue missions and things of that kind. But it, it, all, all of these are demonstrative acts to send a message. The, um, the if you notice that the report came out also this week that Qasem Soleimani had set up centers to spy on the Zionists, meaning the Jews in Iran, 
and although they've been very loyal citizens, and there's, I think, less than 10,000 there, but he had set up numerous centers to, to spy on them if anybody had contacts with Israel anything of that kind. So on, and there's only a few of the things that come to mind of all the things that were going on uh, during just this past week. And the, you know, the United States keeps asking them to refrain from some of these actions, and yet they're telling, and Grossi, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, is going there tomorrow uh, because they're not allowed to inspect certain places. Now they're saying that their immediate sanction, Iran sanction, will be um, no more snap inspections. Well, they don't really allow that many <laughs> yeah. snap inspections. There's no so, access there I mean, they're anyway. not really giving up much. Well, okay, so I'll phrase it differently. The Biden mm-hmm. administration has offered to formally restart nuclear talks with Iran. But those, yes, nego- but those negotiations, no, I, mean, I get it. If I, I was wrong, I should have made sure to mention that word. But okay, the offer is out there. Would that offer have been made without a call to Netanyahu? Uh, I, I, I actually, I don't know, because they have been saying it all along before the call, but there have been exchanges the, the, on the intel, intelligence level. You know, the National Security Advisor, the Mossad the leader, have been in Washington since the election meeting with the, the Biden people. So I think that there have been a lot of exchanges. They know Israel's position and that of the Saudis and the UAE and other allies in the region that there should not be Egypt, uh, uh, that there shouldn't be talks until the conditions are met because they are seeing on the front line the provocative actions uh, of Iran, some of which, you know, I just indicated, but uh, I mean, the list is, is virtually endless. And you have to look at the statements they're making and including the Supreme leader who has taken charge over this uh, nuclear the program about the future course of of the program, they also look at an election in May and and are, are looking what the consequences um, uh, will be internally. It'll be a hardliner no matter what. So it's I can't answer the question because I'm not sure. Right. I think um, I I am sure that it came up in the discussions, and I hope that uh, if they hold the line, that there has to be compliance first. At least that would be that would be closer to the position that Israel and others could live with. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at AlchemSegal.com and the AlchemSegal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. If it wasn't for Purim, do you think this lockdown of the airports in Israel uh, would not have extended until March the 6th? you think they did this because they're anticipating a lot of activity over the holidays? I would think with all the vaccinations and the... The way things are going in Israel, I would think that they'd be much more anxious to not wait another two weeks and to get everything open. I, I don't know that it's just because of Purim. They had talked about a lockdown on Purim all along. Right. Um, but, you know, this is a it's very costly. It's it, there are planes flying into Israel periodically. But the um, the toll, not only on tourism, which is obvious, but in the high-tech industry and so many other things that are being postponed because you need to have face-to-face meetings. So I think that a lot of it has to do with the importation of the foreign strains. As you know, they keep coming up with new strains or or derivative strains of the the U.K. or the South African or merged ones now that I've seen reports of. So Israel wants to reach that level of inoculation, which they're rapidly approaching, where... They can open up the society, whether it's herd immunity or not. Uh, I'm not enough of a medical expert to to comment on. 
<laughs> everybody seems to have a view of it. Um, but they, they, this was intended before, and the fact is that it's not going to really open up. It'll be very limited, whatever does take place, until after Pesach, I would say. And again, like you said last week, we're hoping that once we get past Pesach and we're into you know deep into April, that we're going to see some type of you know regular activity. Again, maybe not a hundred percent, but hopefully at that point, things will start to move. Those who live in Israel that I've spoken to are getting the feeling that they just don't know what the quarantine issue will be for foreigners like us. They may Israel could keep that in place. Everything else, it seems to them, by the time Pesach ends is basically going to be, you know, a reopened society there. Again, to what extent, we don't know. Um, and I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. You always talk about the pent-up energy that everyone has to just travel and go places and do things. And, you know, like I said, you hit that one-year point, and I think it just becomes more and more exacerbated. Uh, what could you tell us about the Israel-Syria prisoner swap? That a young woman uh, wandered across the border, and the question is how did she get across the border without being detected? Yeah. Uh, at a time when there is very heightened alert along the borders, which we should <coughs> talk about. There were huge exercises, as you know, this week. The Israeli Air Force, together with ground forces and others, targeted 3,000, capacity to hit 3,000 targets in Lebanon and Syria as a message to Hezbollah within a 24-hour period uh, because of the huge infrastructure of Hezbollah in Lebanon and the missiles and the danger because they have now the guidance systems, et cetera. So there has been there has been a heightened alert along the border, and yet she somehow just wandered off, was caught. They understood that she was. I'm, I'm sure there must be some extenuating circumstance involving her. Um, and uh, Israel, as you know, never leaves anybody behind, and traded two shepherds. Uh, who had who had come across the border also? So she uh, locked she locked that that Israel happened to have people that wanted to go back to Syria without the, without, they with, were able to trade for. But I'm sure that there, Israel doesn't hold people because they were shepherds crossing you know just with their flocks. Understood. Because there must have been some suspicion. Yes, but they they and, and the Russians negotiated it and Bibi turned to to Putin directly, and they uh, made the deal. There are reports that there are additional clauses in there that have not been made public yet. All right, you know the rumors that were going on, the rumors going around were that um, remains of certain Israelis were going to be as you know part of this deal. There was even a rumor flying about Ellie Cohen's remains uh, going back to Israel. How did all that, I mean, where did that come from? So there are reports that Russian troops were seen in cemeteries and blocked them off as military areas, uh, areas that we believe, or w- w- it was believed, that uh, perhaps the uh, the rest of the, the soldiers from Sultan Yaakob uh, would be located there. As you know, I went to Syria to meet Assad, and largely on this issue, um, they were not willing to negotiate the Eli Cohen um, returning the body of Eli Cohen, something Israel has tried to do and wanted to do for a long time, and we believe that they probably relocated the body. The um, Assad told me he did not know where they were, right. but it seems that the Russians are doing DNA testing of um, uh, people that have been exhumed, the bodies that or remains that were exhumed, in order to try and uh, find them. Uh, again, until we see the results, and we know for sure there have been uh, false reporting over many years about this, but 
the, um, the RI, people who claim to have witnessed the uh, exhumation and the fact that the area was blocked off by Russian soldiers and no one allowed was admitted into it. And more than that, we just don't know. I, I, it, people, we don't. What we don't need to know, we don't know. And I think we should just uh, give him a chance to see what what is happening. As you know, Assad right. this week it was determined that he controls about two thirds of the country, right. but only about fifteen percent of his border. Hamas controls about twenty percent. The Turks control a big percentage. The uh, situation in in Syria itself. It's still very tense uh, with the everybody against each other, Russia, Turkey, Iran, working together in the Astana process against the U.S., but fighting each other there, trying to drive each other out, certainly trying to get rid of the Iranians. Um, and the, the Turks have, have created the, a safe zone, which they control. And they also have millions of, of uh, refugees there. Uh, which is always a problem because they can weaponize the flow of refugees into Europe and elsewhere and because there are millions in, in Turkey as well. The economic situation, obviously, in Syria is uh, is terrible. And you have the, the presence there of militia, and the, the word is that under the cover of COVID, Iran has created many more militia groups, these radical Shiite groups, which are in Iraq, which are in Syria, which are in Yemen, which are in many other places, um, but so have other groups that done the same. And in Syria, the Hezbollah has uh, come into the areas closer to Israel. This is what Iran has been trying to do, putting their own troops, putting their militia, often dressed as Syrian soldiers, uh, so they could be within striking distance uh, of the border. Why It's just part why Israel has taken all these preventative and assertive message, um, measures to send a message that, you know, you've tried on the ground with bombs, you tried to dig under, you tried to send rockets over, you have no options. If, and the Hezbollah does not want a war now. They can't afford it. And the people of Lebanon don't want a war. And their popularity goes down uh, because it's the people who will pay the price. And, and the, the, the demonstration of how devastating the retaliatory strike will be by Israel is not a message lost on the, on the people of Lebanon. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, a month from Tuesday, it's Election Day in Israel. Anything new over the last seven days since we last spoke? Yeah, they're planning the next election for September. <laughs> You're not serious. It's I a hope. growth industry. Anybody who can wants to invest, it's uh, better than GameStop. You invest. I hear that some of the I hear that some of the campaign experts of the United States are making money off of this one. They did, and they, uh, one of them, you know, fired the Lincoln Group, and uh, you know, it's. It is in a healthy situation. We've just done a series of webinars with the candidates, and um, you know the, the the numbers keep vacillating of who will cross the threshold. But we know that the polling in Israel is notorious. That people tell the truth to the pollsters and then lie at the polls, as I have said to you for many years. So don't buy necessarily the specific things we see that Netanyahu remains very strong despite all of the complications and uh, the difficulties that uh, he has. But nobody else really has emerged to mobilize the people. The left is, is divided as well. You saw that the Arabs walked out of the Labor Party, the Israeli Arabs, in protest against um, the chairperson's uh, choosing of, of an Israeli Arab to be on the list. Uh. and. You know, so it's not it's not even a left right split. It's not it's it's there's divisiveness and it divides into one two th- one thing pro BB anti BB block. Right. right. Wow. 
Uh, is Israel going to have a big anti-vaxxer problem as they try to continue? We just talked about reopening a few minutes ago, but I, I, I forgot to ask you about that. Is there going to be a significant part of the population that's going to refuse to be vaccinated? There's a significant part of the population in every country that is refusing, including here, including health workers and others. And people are talking about mandating it. There are firms that have mandated it. Uh, I, I, I myself got a call here at my house with somebody from anti-vaxxers who were you know, trying to mobilize support. There are always these kind of outliers who who uh, are putting people's lives at risk. They're not scientists. They're not doctors. Are, are there risks? There's of risks in everything. But yeah. the the risk of people getting sick, how many more people have to die? How many of our leaders, how many of the people, young people now, more than 50% of the cases in Israel are under 50 years of age or under 60. And, the, and, and little children are getting it. Mothers are, are um, pregnant. Women are being brought in, and their children born. Um, and often the mothers are sick, and in some cases have died because of the illness, not because of the vaccination. Is it 100% perfect? No. Is but it, it it is so far ahead of any option. And the vax anti-vaxxers are often ignorant, and they're certainly doing tremendous damage. Look at all the calls of of the Dolan for people to get vaccinated. There's no excuse unless there's a health reason and that people should consult their doctors about about it. But, yes, I think that there is a problem, that there's a significant part of populations generally who, because of the Internet messages and the mobilization and the radicals who, who express themselves, I understand the, the expressions of concern. I don't understand why people are putting other people's lives at risk. And it's funny because usually the anti-vaccine campaign is aimed at protecting, quote-unquote, children. I'm not questioning whether they really are. I understand the sincere effort to do that. But here, you're not even nobody's even uh, suggesting that anybody under 18 at the moment be vaccinated. They're not even uh, uh, considering that. This is uh, more of an adult thing. And uh, if you look at the statistics in places like Israel, I mean, there may be an isolated case or two where someone's had either a bad reaction or a terrible uh, sickness based on the vaccine. But boy, as you just said, few and far between, to say the least. Um, what did you think of, pri- of President Biden's suggestion that the uh, Chinese genocide against the Uyghurs is an indication of different norms in that country? Wasn't that disturbing to you? I don't think most people understand what's going on with the Uyghurs and the um, who have been persecuted for many years. It's a Muslim population, and China accused them of being involved in a revolution. I mean, there has been violence there, um, but to the the different characterizations that exist, he, the president had a long talk with uh, President Xi of China, and I think was trying to moderate some of the language uh, with his assertion. But I'm sure that that will come under fire. But the the, the Democrats right now are acting in a more disciplined way than than usual. Mm. And I think people are giving the president a lot of leeway. Um, You know, there have been appointments that are of concern. There are uh, many things, many issues. But, you know, I think he still has the honeymoon period. Um, And then we will see more people start coming out, as happens with every president after, they say, the first 100 days. So if he would have made that statement half a year from now, you're saying the reaction would have been much different. It's very possible. There are, There is a lot of uh, concern in Congress and elsewhere around the world about the, the uh, Uyghurs and the refugees and the establishment of these, quote, training camps and people being forcibly right. uh, brought to re-education centers. 
I mean, there are a lot of reports about it, and um, yes, the, I think the reaction will be different. Finally, Malcolm, and I, I got to wrap up uh, quicker this week because Rabbi Yudin has a, a a long, rightfully so, a long agenda because he's including Purim in this morning's presentation. Uh, the Equatorial Guinea move of the embassy to Jerusalem. Now, many of us might think that this is an insignificant story, but frankly, the reason I thought this was significant is because we all wondered what would happen after January 20th. Would countries around the world hesitate to take action that they that they would have um, quickly taken during a Trump administration, and this may not be a big deal, but I feel that that you know this might be an indication that there are countries ready to do so. So Equatorial Guinea is actually a unique instance. Um, you know, when Kosovo did it, established relations. You see, the press hardly even mentioned it. Some of the others, um, and there are big ones in the offing. The big, biggest fish, obviously, is Saudi Arabia. Right. But I think that we, I know that there are talks going on with others, and I'm sure this administration will will want to be able to to show that it kept the momentum. They've said they will keep the momentum of the um, Abraham Accords. Although, as we know, the um, relationship with Saudi Arabia, with UAE, with others, that he's taken measures. Uh, and there are 27 members of the Senate, led by Senator Inhofe, uh, moved against the um, decision of the Trump administration regarding Western Sahara, which is unfortunate. And Morocco is a great ally of ours. And this is a, it's a complicated issue, but I hope that they won't undo it. And the same thing with the uh, arms sales to UAE and some of the things with Saudi Arabia. Uh, we need good relations with these countries, especially given Iran's aggressiveness. I think it enhances Israel's role. Equatorial Guinea is different. I was actually there at the invitation of the president to attend the organization African Unity. And when the Iranians and Palestinians saw me in the room, they they went nuts. Oh, that I remember. I, mean, you, I remember you telling us the story. And they wouldn't they wouldn't start the meeting until until I left. Right. I didn't leave. And right. then finally, uh, uh, they came. The president came, and he was humiliated and embarrassed by it. Uh, but that, that was an hour and a half late in starting with all the heads of state there, and just because this delegation was there. Uh, but that's that's for the book. But the um, <laughs> the interesting thing is that Equatorial Guinea has this huge hospital complex manned by Israelis with kosher kitchens, with facilities there that are really remarkable. Um, and they've had a, a, a long relationship informal with uh, Israelis in Israel. I think there are a thousand Israelis uh, living there. Uh, it's, it's a country with, with wealth. It's, it's um, come under fire because of corruption and other things as uh, others. But it's, uh, I think there are many other African countries I know that their leaders have spoken to us about it, are chomping at the bit to, to expand their relationship with, with Israel uh, and to visit and to benefit from especially the high-tech, agri-tech, AI, so many other areas that they see as, as valuable and important. So each, each additional brick is important as you build the, wall of the, the structure of relationships. The Mediterranean Initiative, which is, you know, I've worked on for 10 years, the, the Gulf so many potential, so much potential, and s- such benefits that can be derived from it. So I hope the new administration will uh, enhance this and and help expand it because it's going to serve everybody's purpose. We can we can change the map uh, if this thing goes to 
its full fruition that I think is possible. Pretty. I just want to remind everybody of one thing, that, you know, the halacha is that if you read the Megillah just as an historic document, then you're not Yotza with the mitzvah. You have to think of its contemporary significance. And if people read it and over Shabbos look at it, you will see how many messages. If you want to look at the source of anti-Semitism, call Zanishavili. Look what Haman did. Look at so many lessons. And I know you don't have time now, but it's, it really is important that people understand uh, how much we can learn. And that's why Pajan Zahar, we remember, we have to learn the lessons, it's not just a rote uh, observance. 100% well said. Take this opportunity to wish you a happy Purim. Let's hope that as uh, we observe Purim, we see a, a reopening of society uh, one year later. Amen. And uh, we'll speak, please God, two weeks from today. And, and I, I wish you a sober and, and happy Purim. Yeah. And, and <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, this, this year, I think it'll be a sobering experience. Uh, I thank Malcolm Honline, He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. We'll get to by Uden in a moment. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount on all Abel's and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with promo code RADIO. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. And a special shout-out to listener Mendy, who has increased his... Um, stock of uh, A&H products because of our recommendation and is enjoying all the uh, delicious items. It's that time of year again, tax time. Are you ready? Isn't it about time that you went to a firm that does more than taxes? Rosenbaum Financial Services is um, that firm. Taxes play an integral role in all of life circumstances. We're able to identify planning opportunities based on information within your return. To learn more about Rosenbaum Financial Services, tax cpa2.com taxcpa2.com or call 1-800-829-2722 in addition to anybody who calls or emails ralph at taxcpa2.com they'll send you the uh, no obligation research on the dirty dozen tax scams to watch out for it's ralph at taxcpa2.com 1-800-829-2722 don't forget our friends at artscroll.com. They've got the brand new Rebbe Chaim Kanievsky on Tehillim. Rebbe Shai Graucher is responsible for that. Go to artscroll.com. Everything, 10% off, free shipping with promo code radio. Did you hear what I have to say? Did you hear that? Everything, 10% off, free shipping with promo code radio. Simple as that. Go to artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio. Believe you me. You'll thank me for that. And our friends at ShopEichlers.com, go to our friends at ShopEichlers.com. They are featuring the incredible collection of Shabbos lights with great deals on all of them. Hey, it's Erev Shabbos. It's the perfect time to talk about this. The Travel Kosher Lamp from Kosher Innovations. That's uh, heavily discounted right now. The um, Shabbos Light LED Clip-On Lamp. That is uh, heavily discounted right now. The Kosher Lamp Max from Kosher Innovations, heavily discounted. And the Shabbos Light LED Table Lamp, my favorite. By the way, the most expensive of all of them, even though now it's on special. That To me, my favorite. Absolute favorite. I told you why earlier in the week. Check it out. Go to shopbyclothes.com. Shopbyclothes.com. And don't forget, they have same-day delivery to Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, 
Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, and Jackson, New Jersey. Go to shopbicyclers.com. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM and the end. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Wow. A lot to talk about tomorrow and Mir Sashem next week. I'll try to go chronologically in order and see what we can cover and try to do the best we can. This Shabbos, we have the privilege of taking out two Sifrei Torah. The Parshas HaShavua, the first one is Parshas Truma. According to the Chinuch, it has three mitzvos, two positive mitzvos, including the mitzvah of V'asuli Mikdash, to construct a sanctuary, we had one in the desert, the Mishkan, and we had two base Mikdash, and we will have the third base Mikdash, for which we pray in every single Shmone Esrei. And the other two mitzvos are one related to the Oron and the other one related to the Shulchan. The second Torah that we read tomorrow is Parshas Zohar. Parshas Zohar consists of the last three verses of Parshas Kiseitze, chapter 25 in the fifth book of the Torah, Psukim 17, 18, and 19. According to most authorities, Parshas Zohar is biblical. What does that mean? It means that the reading of the first Torah, Parshas Truma, like every other Parsha throughout the year, is rabbinic. The reading of Parshas Zohar, however, is biblical. Very important. Therefore, everybody should, as in past years, make an attempt to come to shul. This year, because of the pandemic, it is more challenging for some, and perhaps the weather might be a factor for others. Therefore, number one, if one cannot come to shul this Shabbos to hear Pasha Zachar, if they happen to have a Sefer Torah in their home, read it from the Sefer Torah. If you don't have a Sefer Torah, read it from the Chumash with, if you know, the Ta'amim, with the notes, with the trap. But read the three psukim out loud. Now, there are a minority opinion that says that when you come to shul next Friday morning and you hear Vayavoa Molek, you're going to satisfy the mitzvah of Amalek by hearing Vayavo Amalek and others say keep in mind that this summer when we read Parshas Kiseitse you'll listen more carefully if you have not heard it this Shabbos to fulfill the obligation of Parshas Zohar now I just want number one that you should understand what it is that we are remembering that Amalek 
is, number one, a people who attacked us in the desert. Not that they wanted our land. The Torah says, Amolek, at the end of verse 18, did not fear God. What does that mean? Truthfully, we get to the very basis of anti-Semitism. Amalek resented that God chose Israel and no other people. And Amalek, therefore, is, quote, angry at God and therefore takes it out on God's people. Rashi tells us on the beginning of verse 18, Ashakor Chabadera, he chanced upon you. Amalek, Rashi explains that in three ways. One, Miloshom Mikre, chance. Not just that he chanced upon you in the desert and attacked you, but that Amalek stands for the concept of chance in this world. What does that mean? Whatever happens, it happens by chance. That's just the luck of the draw. That's the way life is. There is no force that is governing and directing what's happening in this world and governing and directing what's happening to each and every individual. And so, a shekorcha, chance, is the philosophy of Amalek. Amalek stands for chance. If everything is by chance, then you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. That is Amalek. The second opinion, the Rashi says, Ashakorcha, comes from Keri, referring to immorality, and basically exposed the Jewish people then, as we are today, to all kinds of isms, to all kinds of variant ways to look at life. Come on, it's all what you'd like. It's all what you're comfortable with. And once again, our Torah says differently. Timche, you are to destroy Zecher Amolek, the people, when we knew who they were, and we'll get to that in a moment, and the ideology. And the third one that Rashi says is korcha, from the word kor, hot and cold. Korcha is cold. He cooled you off. He cooled you off to the other nations because everybody thought that Israel was invincible, having been miraculously freed from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea. But Amalek and the parable that Rashi brings compared to a hot scalding boiling tub nobody can go in, it's too hot some fool jumps in yes, is scalded but he cools it off for others and that's what happens to Amalek, he cooled it off for others to attack the Jewish people and at the same time cooled us off, we were so spiritually elevated and on a high, having had the miraculous splitting of the Red Sea, and now some of that spiritual energy was cooled off by Amalek. Who is Amalek today? Every year at the Pesach Seder, 
we say behold over door in every generation they there are people that want to destroy the Jewish people whoever wants to destroy the Jewish people that is the modern day people of Amalek and unfortunately as we speak today really nothing has changed and so there's a biblical mitzvah to hear women according to the Chinuch are exempt from this mitzvah others argue with the Chinuch if women can come to hear the reading of a Amalek fine if not well pandemic number one and you can rely upon the Chinuch number two we're going now into please God next week next Thursday we should live and be well is Tanis Esther the fast of Esther now why are we fasting because we're taught in the Megillah that on the 13th day of Adar which is next Thursday we went to war against Amalek and the decree was turned around that which Haman wanted to do namely to annihilate the Jews on this day the 13th of Adar we in turn went to war against Amalek and we won according to the Megillah we are taught in chapter 9 that we killed out 75,000 members of Haman's army and we my friends did not lose a soul that's correct like one of my rabbeim taught me that's worth celebrating and that's part of the celebration which we'll talk about in a moment on Purim day so the fast of Tanis Esther is called by the Raivad a Tanis Shel Simcha a kind of oxymoron it's a fast day of happiness why? we won the war so why are we fasting? because we relive Jewish history and not just remember Jewish history they fasted when they went to war we fast when we remember their uh, challenges as well as their celebration good there's a minhag Yisrael that mincha time on uh, Tanis Esther next Thursday afternoon at mincha we give three halves of the currency of the land we're in in our situation three half dollars and this is zecher lemachzis hashekel a remembrance of the Machzis HaShekel, which was used for the purchase of communal offerings. If you can, come to Shul, designate it, just put it in an envelope, Machzis HaShekel, and the money goes to charity. Next Thursday night is Purim. There are four mitzvos of the day of Purim. Firstly, Mikra Megillah, to read the Megillah, please God, next Thursday night and Friday. Ideally, 
as everybody knows, in past years, we assemble in the synagogue, and truthfully, Barov Am Hadras Melech. That has always been in the past. If this year, because of the proper social distancing, it means that we can't have a packed house in the synagogue, so most synagogues will be arranging many different readings of the Megillah. Find out when and where, inside, outside, and possibly in the various persons' homes, so that we are able to accomplish and have, quote, our cake and eat it, ideally hearing it with a minion or more, but socially distanced, wearing a mask. You can do it. A Jew is able to respond to his challenges. Yes, this is Corona time, but it means that we try and do our best to fulfill the mitzvot under these more challenging conditions. And so, if one can make sure you, men and women who are obligated, will come to the synagogue, in or out, socially distanced to hear it. If you can't do that, then the next best thing is hear it in a home with a few people, best with a minion, but at least with a few people. And if that doesn't work, call your local Orthodox rabbi and ask him to arrange for someone to come, an individual, to bring their Megillah and read the Megillah to you in your home. They'll sit more than six feet away from you, and this way you will be able to hear the Megillah. One cannot fulfill their obligation of the Megillah on Zoom. Yes, there you can get a Megillah. And yes, you can read along with listening to the internet how to pronounce the words, to repeat afterwards in a Megillah. That's very hard. Listen to me. If you can come, get somebody to come to you to read the Megillah. Okay, nighttime and daytime, all night for the letter of the law you can hear it, and all day on Friday one can hear the Megillah. Okay, next, with the reading of the Megillah comes the mitzvah of Matonos Evyonim. This year is no different, except which means giving. Uh, charity to the poor, and specifically gifts to the evyonim, to at least two, two poor persons. If you have a situation where poor individuals will come to you, be it in the synagogue, be it at your home, fine. If, once again, because of COVID, that's not going to be happening, designate the money on Purim Day. Give it to your local rabbi. He'll know where and how to disperse the money on Purim Day. There are many organizations, Baruch Hashem, that both here and in Israel will be doing that on Purim Day. Call them, contact them. Don't wait for Friday to wake up and say, how do I do this? Plan next week. Speak to your Rav. Find out how you can... um, Baruch Hashem, fulfill the mitzvah of Matonos Evyonim. So we've discussed Mikra Megillah and we've discussed Matonos Evyonim. Now, the big challenge this coming Friday 
is going to be the Purim Su'uda. Why is that a challenge this year? It's a challenge because Purim is Friday. It's a challenge because the halacha we're taught in the beginning of the last parak of Psachim that just like on Erev Pesach, one is to go into the Pesach Seder with an appetite because they want you to eat the matzah with an appetite. So too, every Friday, one is to restrict their having a meal in the afternoon so that they can go into Shabbos with an appetite. One of the mitzvos of Shabbos is Oneg Shabbos, having a Shabbos meal. If I'm going to have my Purim Suda and this Purim, as I do all other Purims, three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon, ay, 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 I'm going to come to the Shabbos table, thanks, but no thanks, I'm not hungry. So therefore, listen carefully now, the Ramah teaches, and this is in Simon, Tafresh Tzadihei, 695, the Ramah writes that when Purim falls on a Friday, a person should fulfill their Su'udas Purim, their meal, the Purim meal, their meat meal, they should have it on Shacharis in the morning. And what does that mean? He says, Kodem Chatzos Hayom, before mid the day. Chatzos, this coming Friday, next Friday, is at 12.08, which means that according to the Ramah, the best way to fulfill the Purim Sudo would be to start approximately 11 o'clock, and if it goes a little bit after 12.08, that will be fine. Enjoy your meat meal. That's not so challenging. Many people have a Shabbos meal that much after 11, so or around that time. That works. And there's still time to have a little bit of wine, or even a little bit more than a little bit. And if necessary, have a little bit of a nap in the afternoon. It all works out. Best if you don't go to work on Purim. You don't have to lose your job, and if you would lose your job, take your meat sandwich with you, and take a little bit of, you know, how to do it. If not, call me and I'll tell you how to do it. But have a meat sandwich if you have to go to work at lunch. Again, a little bit of an early lunch. If necessary, circumstances are beyond your control, and you can't start your suit at 11 o'clock. So, you should know that Technically speaking, you could have your suda until plag, well, let's say until mincha ketana. And mincha ketana, please God, um, next Friday, I'm looking it up as we speak, and mincha ketana next Friday is at 4.06. So ideally, you should have your Purim Su'uda certainly have started before that, and just use good judgment. The later you are starting, unfortunately, that's the word to use, the more you should limit what you're eating, okay? The earlier you start, understandably, we're able to balance both factors. A Purim Su'uda and your Shabbos meal. Finally, Mishloach Monos, 
the sending of food parcels. Now, we know that especially because of the pandemic, there are many people who are going to be uneasy with receiving your baked goods, your prepared goods, period. Okay? And you don't want it, forgive me, just thrown into the you-know-what. Okay? So therefore, from the letter of the law, remember, you only have to send to one. And I'm telling you, as I tell you every year, if you don't send any year, including this year, if you don't send Mishloach Manos to your best friend, they're still going to be your best friend. Think, everybody, of a family, somebody you're not so friendly with, somebody who might not be affiliated, someone who doesn't yet belong to a synagogue, somebody that, oh, wow, they could and would appreciate get them packaged, and you can buy nice um, food coming from a takeout uh, caterer, sealed, and ideally a mishloach manos. Understand, mishloach manos is, an ex- number one, to extend friendship. Number two, the mishloach manos is to make sure that everybody's got they're Purim Suda. So if you know somebody who might not have a meal, send them a nice piece of chicken, a nice piece of meat, a piece of kugel, everything wrapped up with the caterer's uh, tag on it. And this way, wow, you're satisfying the halacha, and you don't need to send to many people. Okay? Everybody else, and everybody, I hope, understands this, and will use good and proper judgment. In our prayers on Purim, we include Al-Hanisim, please God, Thursday night in Mayariv, and all the prayers through Mincha on uh, Friday afternoon. And uh, just know that in Yerushalayim, Purim this year, because it's a walled city, and Purim is on Shabbos, they have what is called Purim Mishulash, a three-day Purim. What does that mean? Friday, they read the Megillah, just like us. Friday, they have the Mitzvah of Matonos Levionim, just like us. Shabbos, they read Vayovo Amalek. Well, we're going to read Friday morning. They read it in Yushalayim on Shabbos. And Sunday, they have the Su'uda and Matonos, excuse me, Mishloach Monos. Okay, finally, I just want to close with the following. That, listen carefully, I really believe that we are in the middle of Megillas Corona. What does that mean, Megillas Corona? Exactly what the Purim story is. We don't know yet why. Why the whole world has experienced Fenafochu. The whole world has experienced this past year. And really, as we all know, it started last Purim. Right after Purim. What does that mean? It means that a person, till then, had plans, and this is what was going to be unbelievable, that everything was turned topsy-turvy, and we got to realize 
very, very clearly that he, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is in control. You thought you were going where? You're going to Israel? Come on, the airport has been closed. You couldn't fly. Here they had restrictions. They had, who would have believed this prior to last Purim? And we're still not finished with this. But the key word is Ashakarcha. Is this all a fluke? It just so happened, or no, there is a master plan. And just like the Megillah is to reveal, Purim is a miracle. Where's the miracle? Come on. Chapter 1, that a king kills his queen. That's a miracle. Chapter 2, that Esther becomes the queen. That's a miracle. And go chapter by chapter by chapter, and I want anybody to show me where's the miracle. And yet we know the answer is that over seven years, these ten chapters taken in succession. Wow, 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 wow. And Mordechai here is big son and Seresh, and it's written down in the king's diary, and the king can't sleep, and Muhammad comes, and, and, and. All these ands is one thing to show the opposite of Amalek. Amalek says, whatever happens is by chance, and we say no. Er feart develt. In simple English, God controls the world. And as there is Megillas Esther, and we see God's plan, I pray soon, soon, we'll all have an understanding as to what Megillas Corona was and is to teach us. But until that time, Purim is that wonderful shot in the arm. Purim is that spiritual vaccination. It's that injection for each and every one of us. It's that reminder, bow, what a privilege we are to belong to a nation that has divine providence such as the Jewish people. I take this opportunity of wishing everybody a good Shabbos, Shabbos Zohar, and please God, a very meaningful Purim to all. Shabbos Kodesh, he wanders on in Stands in the back as the tefillos begin The mystical words of Lecha Daidi There's something about that sweet melody Invited for dinner, Zemiros they sing Infusing his soul with the joy that they bring Closing his eyes, his heart starts to soar. Perhaps we can sing that sweet song once more. Him, who are you and where were you born? 
Ramallah is my home, but inside I feel torn. I was taught to hate Jews, to hurt and to maim, but I felt a connection I could not explain. With anger and fury thrown out of my home, confused and forsaken, I left there alone. But I feel something strange here, his voice fills the room, and over and over he's singing this tune. My mother to say my goodbyes She told me the truth with tears in her eyes I was taken by force, we're Jewish, now run Here's a picture to treasure, it's where you come from They gathered and stared at the photo he held An image of his grandfather's grave it beheld Rab Shloimel Kabitz, his cave in Svav who wrote Lechadaydi, we sing Leil Shabbos. <laughs> Through the window, a rock with a note on it. Here, let me see what it says. It says, Dear Mr. Shapiro, unless you deposit $10,000 in small bills in a paper bag, under the old hollow tree in a vacant lot on the corner at midnight tomorrow, we will kidnap your wife. <laughs> Sincerely yours, your kidnappers. <laughs> Boy, some tough cookies. <laughs> I better write them a note back immediately. Let me see. Pencil, paper. Dear kidnappers, <laughs> your rack of this date received <laughs> I am writing to tell you I do not have $10,000. 
but please keep in touch. <laughs> Your proposition interests me. Oh, those Adar comedy segments. Nothing like it, huh? Nothing like it. Just amazing. Uh, before that, Baruch Levine, ready to wrap things up here on an era of Shabbos. Don't forget, next week is Purim. Mayor Weingarten is going to be sitting in for me here at JM and the AM. I thank him in advance. Two weeks from today, Malcolm Holmline will return with the weekly update here at uh, JM and the AM. Candlelighting in New York, 515 on this era of Shabbos Zachar. One year later from the start of this pandemic. Amazing. Uh, time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM&M. The sun is going down It's shining through the trees Another week's gone by Become a memory So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Say good job is Cause all your work is done Gonna spend a day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, the NachumSingle Network, and of course, any beloved NSN app. Want to remind our audience that six weeks ago, Esther Horgan went out for a jog in Israel and was brutally murdered outside her home. A vibrant and talented woman, she left a tremendous legacy through her words and artwork, and they came together in the Israel Bible Scroll of Esther, featuring Esther's beautiful illustrations and uplifting poetry. Matis speaks with her husband this coming Sunday. JM Sunday, this coming Sunday, live, as usual. Thank you, Matis. Starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, Matis will speak to Esther Horgan's husband, her uh, widower, about her incredible work, especially as it relates to the Megillah and Purim. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty coming up all day long here at the Nahum Single Network. No need to touch that dial at all. And I thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful Shabbos Zachar. Until uh, Monday morning, Nahum Single reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future. (laughs) 